Chapter 8 of Unknown London. Written by Walter George Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Janet. Chapter 8 Wapping High Street. Your Molly has never been false, she declares, since last time we parted at Wapping Old Stairs. When I swore I would still continue the same, and gave you the tobacco box marked with my name. When I passed a whole fortnight between decks with you, did I e'er give a kiss, Tom, to one of your crew? Nothing can be more significant of the change that has overtaken Wapping than the fact that people should ever have written songs about the place, and so many of them. Wapping Old Stairs was a showpiece with our grandmothers, for two generations or more, and now quaintly old-fashioned still finds a place in every well-ordered musical album. The notes recall fading memories of dear old ladies in ringlets and oddly grotesque gowns, who played the piece when they were themselves young, in times which seem so curiously remote from our own. Wapping was vigorously alive when the melody and words were written, now fully a century ago. The steamships and the great docks, the railways, the smoke, the jolt and rattle of donkey engines and steel hawsers, all that gives this waterside district its present drab character, were yet to come. Wapping brought the salt taste, fresh from the open sea, right up to London's gates. It lies but ten minutes' walk from the tower. The jolly young waterman, the song comes again tripping on the tongue at mention of the name, plying his wherry from the numerous boat stairs, then carried all the passengers who did not pass by the few bridges that crossed the river. Stout East and West India men, the monarchs of the sailing fleets, beat away up with wind and tide to the anchorage at Blackwall, but the larger part of the shipping came within hail of Wapping. Picture a stretch of open riverside, with no fewer than eight public stairs, and boats rowing up at all hours of the day and night, with the pleasant splash of oars in the water, depositing sailors ashore. The world-famous high street straggled along the bank. Behind was a hive of town dwellings, threaded by narrow alleys, inexpressibly dirty. And on the Thames, the silvery Thames, toned to brown but clearer than it is to-day. Masts and tall hulls lay out at moorings on the tide, row upon row, far down the broad expanse of Limehouse Reach, with the breeze rattling the taut shrouds. That was whopping in its heyday, a bit of Portsmouth Old Town nestling against London. Old timber-built houses occupied the front, with steep gabled roofs, and wooden galleries, much favoured by old salts, giving a long view over the shipping down river and rickety steps descending to the bit of gravel beach left uncovered by the falling tide, in every condition of picturesque dilapidation and decay, dropped down at intervals without any ordered plan. A few last survivals of the type may yet be seen squeezed between the towering warehouses about Limehouse and Rotherhide. 
Wapping was the busiest centre of the seafaring life of the port of London. Its nautical manners live in Dibden's verse, and against all rivals I count him the historian of the place, for he alone has drawn for us the man. Bold Jack, the sailor, here I come, pray how do ye like my nib? My trousers wide, my trampers rum, my nab and flowing jib? I sails the seas from end to end, and leads a joyous life. In every mess I finds a friend, in every port a wife. You may land at the old stairs still, and pace the high street, over the stones where Spanking Jack and Tom Tackle, and Ben Brace, and other stout hearts, home from the wars or the eastern seas, came ashore to spend their wages and their prize money, and cast saucy eyes at every passing Moll and Paul and Sally in the rollicking days of the old wooden walls. More rollicking, I feel certain, in fiction than ever they were in fact. The quaintly named Town of Ramsgate stands at the head of the stairs, where it has stood, but little changed, these past two centuries or more, for the refreshment of sailors. Out of the neck of a tortuous alley you emerge into the street. It is the street here, as if none other existed. The right and left extends what was whopping. For the dead cities of the world are not so dead to their past as is whopping dead to itself of little more than a century ago. Near at hand, by the Globe Wharf, the off-scourgings of London's population gathered to witness the hangings of pirates and seamen at Execution Dock. With less certainty, one may fix on the spot where Landlady Meg of Wapping, whose charms have been sung in verse, kept her alehouse open night and day. It needs no monstrous flight back over the years to fancy oneself jostling in the crush with all those jolly sea-dogs whom Dibden's delightful imagination has made so familiar. Dibden, by the way, did not write Wapping Old Stairs. Wapping lies downstream, close against the city of London's boundaries. You can almost shout from Wapping to the Lord Mayor. It is quite unknown to Londoners. No one thinks of going there. Moreover, it is absolutely unrecognizable. The one paved street runs beneath the sheer walls of huge warehouses, which shut out all sight of the river, low-lying as though at the bottom of a deep cutting. Can this be the famous Wapping High Street? The name painted up alone tells you so. Wapping Wall is here, too, but in little more than name. The narrow road twists awkwardly around the gasworks and stores, and a few workmen's tenements. All the color has gone with the people. Few places have been swept so clean as Wapping. It has been undercut for the Thames Tunnel and the railway, dug out for the great London docks, until now half the parish has a water surface. The church alone wears signs of age, and the graveyard, with its many moss-covered tombs, wherein lie master mariners brought here to their last anchorage. 
a generation ago when the tickborne case was ringing in everyone's ears and arthur orton had paid that visit to the parental butcher's shop at wapping which contributed so much to his undoing it caught the public fancy to make pilgrimages there the butcher's shop has now gone like everything else it stood by the wapping entrance to london docks adjoining a shop where lord nelson was said to have bought his outfit when first he went to sea people who came mildly wondered at what they saw this angle of the riverside world below bridge was strange and unfamiliar but the seven days wonder passed and wapping was left again to the undistracted labors of the dockers and the steve-doers and the steamship carriers the hamlet which dibdin has so generously peopled is the only one of which any clear impression survives it shouldered london but formed no portion of the town the distinction is important wapping in its eminence lived apart in its life and ways a lawless quarter it stood beyond the city's jurisdiction and as jack ashore acknowledged no master it escaped even the little effective surveillance that was exercised over the town under the georges in aspect the place might have passed for a bit of old london before the great fire much patched and repaired with the wide river before it and london bridge closing in the view upstream not the present london bridge of course but the long low bridge with so many stone piers and the starlings rising out of the river bed and the rapids rushing between which was finished by king john and was standing almost within memory of our grandfathers it had a glory peculiarly its own this famous high street when the life was in it the name was familiar wherever trade or war took british ships into the most distant seas and stood as a symbol to sailors of riot and boisterous enjoyment as the old windjammers threshed their way homewards what the heart has been to portsmouth the high street of wapping was to the port of london when the sailing fleets carried our world commerce with the ships dropping anchor and homecoming sailors putting off for the steps the longshoremen waiting about the head of the stairs the jews ready to cash the seamen's pay notes at usurious interest the women and the numerous other hangers-on of jack ashore animation was never wanting the ferry to rothershithe and the waterman's wherries were constantly plying every tavern kept open door to welcome the mariner with wages in his pocket from within came the shouts and sounds of revelry the scraping of fiddles and the stamping of feet to the sailor's hornpipe and the riot and lasciviousness overflowed into the street of the many landing places the deserted old stairs and the new stairs nearer the city alone survive and more significant than all you may tramp wapping from end to end without recognizing a sailor man a single fact tells more of character than pages of description wapping high street in the days of nelson's wars possessed upwards of one hundred and forty alehouses one need say little more 
in a recent perambulation i was not able to count ten together with these reeking drink shops inexpressible in their squalor and dirt the natural home for every kind of abomination were other houses of resort which one may deftly pass by without too curious inquiry in the gloomy slum area at the back the inner recesses of the hive mostly dwelt the people who lived quite literally upon the sailor and they formed the greater part of the population that was herded here others there were who supplied more or less honestly the sailor's wants and the shops of the mathematical instrument sellers the ship's chandelers the biscuit bakers the tackle block and sail makers and the mast yards and rope walks that helped to fill out the alley spaces all swept indiscriminately away gave to the place those picturesque and more pleasant associations with the seafaring life which now one has to go much farther east to find above the doors and across the alleys swung the most wonderful collection of nautical signs in the world one wonders what has become of them all but wapping street and taverns the shanties and the people are nothing without the man for whom alone they existed i sing of that life of delight beyond measure that tars calmly led on the boisterous main where toil is enjoyment where troubles all pleasure and where men lose their lives a sure fortune to gain where you fear no diseases but sickness and scurvy where the water stinks sweetly by way of a zest where you walk on your legs when you're not topsy-turvy and where though you sleep soundly you're never at rest then push round the can oh you have not a notion of sailors their grog and their sweethearts and wives ah give me my soul the tight lads of the ocean who though they're so wretched lead such happy lives what of perils that always the same are so various and though shot holes and leaks leave wide open death stores devils a risk in a battle weren't not so precarious storms all a gig and fun but for breakers and shores in short a tar's life you may say that i told it who leaves quiet and peace foreign countries to roam is of all other lives i'll be bound to uphold it the best life in the world next to staying at home then push round the can etc none of this is true but there was no denying it dibdin mesmerized his own generation and his songs have colored the impressions of sea life down to this day the damning evidence was always accessible but with a thousand witnesses to the contrary his impetuous verse bore all before it dipton must often have paced the wapping high street familiarizing himself with those nautical characters he portrayed should his shade chance to haunt this place you could never mistake him in the blue coat cut away to display the ample waistcoat beneath black silk breeches and stockings and hair fully dressed and profusely powdered in the fashion of the day a big man loose-limbed as a sailor is 
with flushed and merry face as if pleased with all the world and with himself o'keefe the actor himself a generous soul tells of dibdin his manner of coming on the stage was in happy style he ran on sprightly and with a laughing face like a friend who enters hastily to impart to you some good news the spice of a quarrelsome nature and some domestic peccadilloes one need not trouble about dibdin's sailors are london types cockneys born within sound of bow bells the european war has renewed our acquaintance with the qualities of the london fighting man so far down the thames the shipping has drifted to an unknown dockland that we forget that london is the greatest port as well as the greatest city in the world whence arose the popular idea that dibdin drew his inspiration from portsmouth is not plain the songs themselves give no evidence of it while on the other hand they contain many references to london the town was always his headquarters there he wrote his songs and sang his own words to music of his own composition apart from the one fact that his brother tom was captain of an india man there was nothing in his life or in the family tradition to associate charles dibdin with the sea born in southampton in seventeen forty five he was the son of a parish clerk tom dibdin is immortalized in the beautiful lines of tom bowling lines that are inscribed on the songwriter's own tomb in st martin's churchyard camden town but tom sailing in the hope west india man was captured by a french seventy-four leaving charles dibdin then a raw youngster stranded and friendless in london and after his liberation by the enemy he spent most of his remaining years in the east and so could have given but little aid to the sailor's songwriter blow high blow low is easily first of the sea lyrics it was written in a gale of wind on a thirteen hours crossing from calais dibdin had gone there to escape his creditors the fury of a storm has never been so vividly expressed in so few lines blow high blow low let tempests tear the mainmast by the board my heart with thoughts of thee my dear and love well stored shall brave all danger scorn all fear the roaring winds the raging sea in hopes on shore to be once more safe moored with thee aloft while mountains high we go the whistling winds that scud along and the surge roaring from below shall my signal be to think of thee and this shall be my song blow high blow low etc and on that night when all the crew the memory of their former lives or flowing cans of flip renew and drink their sweethearts and their wives i'll heave a sigh and think of thee and as the ship rolls through the sea the burden of my song shall be blow high blow low etc dibdin claimed that his sea songs sent more recruits into the king's navy than all the press gangs and perhaps there is little exaggeration in this 
they were sung in the long room on board every ship at every seaman's carousel in port and at taverns all over the country the lilt of the lines the vision of a life of adventure and pure joyousness which they created swept the raw country lads off their feet dibden purposefully slurred over a vast deal he avoided anything which would fog the bright colors of the picture that he forced the unthinking public to accept the men are all stalwart hearts of oak patriotic to the core inflexible in duty undaunted by peril moll and poll and sally the sailors women of wapping high street or the portsmouth hard are all virtuous faithful and kind the seaman's true friends in this ideal company he knows no exceptions ships and sea life have much altered the nautical terms with which the songs are freely interlarded have passed out of use in our sailless vessels almost all has undergone change yet dibden's tars bill bobstay jack ratlin tom tuff dick dock william and the rest remain solid flesh and red blood and they will live as long as ships traverse the ocean routes many gifted songwriters have portrayed the freedom the charm the mystery the resistless fury of the sea but no other has given us the sailor twas one day at wapping his dangers o'erhauling jack junk cocked his jemmy and broached a full can while a posse of neighbors of each different calling cried only but here what a marvellous man a vast cried out jack what's there marvellous in it when our times come the stoutest of hearts must comply then like men do your duty we all have our minute and at sea or ashore we shall live till we die hurrah 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 boys let's live till we die why now you master plumber that marvels at billows i shall founder at sea and you'll die in your bed what of that some have sods and some waves for their pillows and tis likely enough we may both die of lead and as for the odds all the difference that's in it i shall pop off at once and you'll lingering lie then like men etc and when captain death comes the reckoning to settle you may clear ship for action as much as you like and behave like a man but he's such weight of metal at the very first broadside the bravest must strike and when you have said all you can what's there in it who to scud gainst the storm but a lubber would try then like men etc the charge sometimes brought against dibden of writing to order has nothing in it he received his pension in eighteen o two tardy recognition of such services as he had given to the british navy in a most critical epoch his best work was done and he was fifty-seven the truth no doubt was that his blood was stirred like that of all others in those war times and that he wrote with a strong sense of patriotic duty though he grumbled at the government good sterling love of his country illuminates every verse of his sea songs some of these are purely hilarious 
Meg of Wapping is an instance. The lines gallop along. Twas landlady Meg that made such rare flip. Pull away, pull away, hardies. At Wapping she'd lived at the sign of the ship, where tars meet in such jolly parties. She'd shine at the play, and she'd jig at the ball, all rigged out so gay and so topping, for she married six husbands and buried them all. Pull away, pull away, pull away, I say. What do ye think of my Meg of Wapping? Four verses which follow tell of the shortened careers of her six spouses. The first, Old Bluff, was cast away. Then bleary-eyed Ned. While the surgeon his limb was a-lopping, a nine-pounder came, and smack went his head. Pull away, pull away, pull away, I say. Rare news for my Meg of Wapping. Groggy Sam lost his life when his ship blew up. After came Bold Ben, who at danger would smile, Till his courage a crocodile stopping, Made his breakfast on Ben on the banks of the Nile. Pull away, pull away, pull away, I say. What a fortunate Meg of Wapping. Dick, the fifth husband, made a meal for savages. Jerry was killed in a fray he chanced to pop in. And honest Tom Tripp, the seventh, more fortunate than all, survived the much-married widow. For Meg growing old, a fond tart proved, and must after a boy needs be hopping. So she popped off, and Tom, with the girl that he loved, pull away, pull away, pull away, I say, spent the shiners of Meg of Wapping. Was it all a lie? That seems hard to credit. I believe in the sailor, even as Dibden portrayed him. For no one can read the plain records of those old sea battles at close quarters, when ships locked together fired broadsides into one another, and chain and grape shot swept the decks, without realizing that it was the courage and endurance of the British tar that made the strength of Nelson's fleets, as of our steel-clad fleets today. Those are the sterling qualities out of which Dibden built his characters. He exaggerates the sailors' virtues to the point of making the men ridiculous. He shows them all philosophers. They preach too much. And that, after all, is the mere dressing. Strip it off, and there stands out the fine figure of the man. The jovial-hearted sailor, reckless, improvident, careless of the little troubles which worry the landsmen, Engrossed when ashore with the pleasures of today without a thought of tomorrow, is a type which changed conditions have by no means effaced. But the joyousness of the sailor's lot when penned in the wooden ships, the unalloyed delight that he derived from his daily round, all that is false, and Dibden knew it. The truth lies nearer in the demands made by the seamen at the mutiny of the Nore, their revolt against the loathsome food the exacting duties, the coarse brutality of their treatment, and also is disclosed in personal letters and memoirs of Nelson's officers who, to their great credit, 
bore uncomplainingly hardships little less than those of the foremast hands. The King's sailors did not ask for the abolition of the cat, but that at the end of a cruise they might have shore leave, and that the nation whom they guarded should have a little more humanity towards them. One recalls Samuel Johnson's sour description of the seaman's life. Being in a ship is being in jail with the chance of being drowned. And Wapping was not at all like Dibden painted it. It was the foulest, the most loathsome spot in all London, and there were many foul spots in London of the Georges. The sailors ashore, made brutish by his environment, did harm to no one but himself. But so much good cannot be said of the rest. The vilest characters of the town gathered at Wapping to prey upon the seamen whose stay on land was short and with whom money was plentiful during the few days it was permitted to last. Into the drink shops the sailors crowded as soon as the boats touched the stairs, and the men were quickly marked down for spoliation by the harpies who gathered about them. The drink shops, bad enough in all conscience, were not Wapping's worst places. The lanes and winding alleys back of the street were a hotbed of every kind of crime. Men, armed with knives and loaded bludgeons, lurked in a dark corner to attack and rob the seaman, already well plied with drink, who stumbled about the gloomy recesses alone. Women acted as decoys to lure sailors from the taverns into hovels, where they might be robbed at ease by male confederates, and from which they were afterwards flung, maimed and senseless, into the road. Fences abounded, and receiving shops wherein jewellery, much affected by sailors and easily stolen, was at once melted down, and other purloined goods were as quickly disposed of. Hardly a face was to be seen among this evil population that was not marked by a scar. Black eyes and bound-up hands were the rule. Women, plied with fiery spirits and quickly quarrelsome, stripped to the waist and fought with fists and claw to make a holiday for sailors ashore, ringed about in the open street by a throng as debased as themselves. In this fearful hell children grew up. Thieves, since their intelligence was sufficiently awakened to steal, to form the next generation of criminals, many lamed or blind by neglect. Life was short and little valued. When every conviction of felony, even for a shilling, meant death on the gallows, the meanest ruffians became desperate. Tyburn took its own toll, but larger was the toll claimed by the great graveyard of St. George's in the east, of the sailors' women, inured to immortality from childhood, rotten with disease and dead, many of them, before adult life with their more favoured sisters can be said to have begun. Night followed day to the soul's damnation without check in Wapping's evil life. In times of war the press-gang swept the high street from end to end. Lying off Wapping was the hulk in which men lured into the military service of the East India Company were kept close prisoners till the next ship sailed out of the Thames for the East. Wapping had another and questionable distinction. 
For centuries it was the place of execution under Admiralty jurisdiction for crimes committed on the high seas, the gallows being set upon the uncovered beach at low tide. It was an imposing cavalcade that came down from Newgate Jail, no ordinary landsman's affair. The condemned rode in the cart, their executioners seated behind them. On their way, they were preceded by the marshal of the admiralty in his carriage. The deputy marshal bore before him the silver oar. The two city marshals followed on horseback, and numbers of marshalmen, sheriff's officers, and others acted as escort. By Tower Hill and Nightingale Lane they passed to Wapping Street, and so into sight of the steaming, shouting crowd at Execution Dock, impatiently awaiting its amusement. Captain Kidd was hanged there. It was an insult to a man of his mettle, with so many high crimes to his account, to hang him for having killed a common seaman on his own ship by banging him over the head with a bucket. I sat the other day in the little recreation ground at Wapping that the London County Council has made, with fresh green turf and asphalt paths alone, with only the hum about the near but invisible riverside for company. Yes, Wapping is dead, as dead as any dead cities there may be that lie salted at the bottom of the Dead Sea. End of chapter 8